Welcome to the 189th episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, our topics are a brief overview of Patrick's weekend predictions, a look at the divisional round of the NFL playoffs, and our weekly looks at the NBA and college basketball action. So let's jump right in with a look back at Patrick's weekend predictions, which are posted every Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com, starting in the NFL, where Patrick went 3-1 and one in his weekend predictions over the playoff round. Patrick also went three and one in his NBA predictions and talk about consistency. Patrick went three and one in his NCAA basketball predictions for the weekend, meaning he went a combined nine and three for the weekend. And that brings him to a 646 and 417 overall record. That is a 60.8% winning percentage. Patrick, your thoughts on your weekend predictions. Well, a few weeks ago, maybe four or five, maybe six weeks ago, sometime during the bull season, I got back above 60% for the first time in a very, very long time. I was hanging in the 58, 59, uh, high 59 range for a very, very long time. And I thought it might not last too long because typically the NBA is more of a toss up, but I have been doing much better this season. If I could, I would actually go back and track how I have done over the course of the year in the NBA so far, because it feels like I've been doing a lot better than past years. And in college basketball, I've had my fair share of slip ups, but I normally get better as the season goes on. And that has started to happen. I still haven't had a week worse than I think two and two in college basketball anyway, but normally I'm around a 70% winning percentage. It's my best sport to predict because I know the most about it. And then in the NFL definitely had a good year in predictions. Uh, I'm saying had because, well, there are only three games left to predict. So it's pretty much time to uh, wrap that up. But this week, uh, all that stuff continued. The Chiefs beat the Jaguars 27 to 20. I predicted that correctly. The Eagles beat the Giants 38 to seven. I got that one right. The Bengals beat the Bills 27 to 10. That was my only loss of the week. And then the 49ers beat the Cowboys 19 to 12, uh, which I also got right. In the NBA, the Warriors beat the Cavs 120 to 114. Uh, the Road Warriors for once showing up. Uh, then the Mavs beat the Heat 115 to 90. That was a win for me. Uh, sorry, I should have said I lost that Cavaliers game. And then the rest of them I won. The Suns beat the Pacers 112-107. And the 76ers beat the Kings 129 to 127. Much to my personal dismay, but that was an emotional hedge picking the 76ers. Both of those teams actually playing really well over the last few weeks uh, between the 76ers and the Kings. Sixers up to the two seed in the East, Kings up to the three seed in the West. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later. Uh, and then in college basketball, Duke beat kind of upset. Not really. I think they were favored in the game, but, you know, unranked team beating a top 17 team is still pretty impressive result. Isaiah Wong was a little bit off in this game. He was actually under the weather. Uh, didn't get his first field goal make until maybe eight minutes left in the second half. And that was a big deal uh, as he is Miami's leading scorer. But Duke able to pull out that win at Cameron, 68 to 66. Then you had number 14 TCU who beat number two Kansas on the road, 83 to 60. Now it's very hard to win in fog in the first place, uh, Fog Allen Fieldhouse, which is Kansas home. But to beat Kansas by 23 on the road, it actually, frankly, to beat Kansas by 23 anywhere, this team is really, really good. It took K-State overtime at home in probably the most important game in recent program history, maybe in the entirety of their program. Don't know much about Kansas State as a basketball program, but look, it took them overtime and and a bunch of and a bunch of points and still only a one-point win in overtime to beat Kansas at home. To go on the road and then beat them by 23 is just insane from TCU, especially because one of their starters, Eddie Lampkin Jr., had a little bit of an injury. It looked like maybe even a high ankle sprain, some kind of an ankle injury that he was playing through. Could only play in about two-minute spurts in the second half. Tried to gut it out, but Xavier Court came off the bench and replaced him and did a very good job playing for TCU. 
Uh, they just started the game on fire and Kansas just dug themselves into too big of a hole. Couldn't shoot their set. Couldn't shoot their way out of it. And then number 11, Arizona beat number five, UCLA 58 to 52. There was a point in this game where UCLA had 16 offensive rebounds, but only 33 points, um, which in case you didn't know is very bad because even if you were to just score putbacks on all of the offensive rebounds, that would mean you have 17 natural points in 31 minutes. Uh, and it's not like, obviously, that was early in the game. It was nine minutes left in the second half. So UCLA just didn't get anything on offense going this game. Arizona did not play amazing on offense, but they played good enough against a slow-paced UCLA team. Arizona likes to run up the pace. UCLA likes to slow it down a lot. But Arizona able to pull out that win at home in a game that's really not their fashion of play, but still able to gut it out, beat UCLA. Uh, and then number four, Alabama beat Missouri 85-64. to This game looked uh, like it was going to be closer on paper than the rankings indicated it was going to be. But in the end, it looked like the teams were ranked pretty accurately that Missouri is still unranked and Alabama's number four in the country. That Alabama team has not necessarily come out of nowhere when you consider their recent success, but this team especially was not supposed to be maybe a top five quality team all the way throughout the year. And now they're probably trending towards top three, top two pretty easily as they march on in the SEC. Yeah, good year to be a TCU Athletics fan. Um football and basketball all right well patrick's predictions for next weekend will be posted on our website on thursday now let's turn our attention to the national football league where the playoffs continued this past weekend with the divisional playoff round patrick your thoughts on the nfl playoffs this past weekend well you said it's good to be a tcu fan it's actually really good to be a kansas state fan uh, as they've beaten tcu in the big 12 championship game and they're having arguably a better basketball season uh than tcu although tcu do, does have the head-to-head -head advantage so maybe there's a debate to be had there but the chiefs uh, a Big 12 quarterback in this game, but not from either of those schools. Uh, Texas Tech's Patrick Mahomes uh, was able to lead the, Ch the Chiefs to a 27-20 to win over the Jaguars. The Jaguars kind of getting some late garbage time points to make this look like a one-possession game. wasn't really a one-possession game, but it was actually closer than people expected, mainly because Mahomes had a high ankle sprain in the middle of the game that he suffered. Chad Henney took over for a possession or two, um, actually led a touchdown drive, so that was pretty important for the Chiefs. I think he actually was in there for more than a few possessions, but... Mahomes eventually tried to come back. He, you could tell that he was injured, um, definitely hobbled a lot, but the Chiefs able to gut out the victory against the Jaguars. But you can't say enough about the Jaguars. This was a really good season for them. Uh, they were supposed to be obviously not good at all. They had the number one overall pick last year. Um, and all of a sudden, all the way from the number one overall pick to a postseason win, not just making the postseason, a divisional title and a postseason win. Now, how much of that goes to the Titans choking down the stretch is a different story, but the Jaguars still had to claw their way back because they weren't having such a great season themselves, but they deserve a lot of credit for getting here. And meanwhile, the Chiefs deserve a lot of credit as well for losing Tyreek Hill and still being able to reload and get exactly back to where they were last year in an AFC championship game rematch at Arrowhead with the, with the uh, Cincinnati Bengals. We will see how that has to go. Uh, but before we get to how the Bengals got there, let's talk about the Eagles who demolished the Giants 38 to seven. This was the only game of the weekend that I was busy for and couldn't watch, but I picked the right one. Doesn't seem like there's much analysis to be had here. The Eagles dominated the Giants for the second time um, this season. And I think, I don't even know what the score of the first matchup was, but I just know that the most recent one was a game that I picked um, because I thought, you know what? The Giants are above 500. The Eagles are the best team in the league. Got to predict them every once in a while when they're playing some better teams. And uh, it didn't go well for the Giants back then. Uh, and it didn't again this weekend, 38 to seven, the Eagles won uh, their earlier matchups in the season. The Eagles won 48 to 22. And then the second one, they won 22 to 16, but they were resting their starters. 
uh, a lot. So, and it was Hertz's first game back from injury actually. Um, so not really, not really uh, that big of a deal there for the Eagles. Um, but the Giants, you know what? Give them credit because they actually were the ones wrestling their starters. I don't know why I said the Eagles in that last game. They kept that one close, but now that the starters are back, didn't go too well again. That's the second time again, as I said, that the Eagles just completely dominated the Giants. So not able to score that many points against the Eagles this season. It's a testament to the Eagles defense. Uh, they are just a really good team overall and just a team that's in a higher class than the Giants for now. I mean, the Giants can be better in the future, but as it stands right now, the Eagles are just a bit too good for the Giants to catch up to. And then, as I said, the Bengals will be facing the Chiefs in an AFC Championship game rematch from last year. That is because they beat the Bills 27-10. to 10. Uh, The Bengals just once again coming up clutch in the postseason. Their only loss in the last two years in the postseason was in the Super Bowl to the LA Rams. Uh, we will see if that happens again. We'll see if they make it to the Super Bowl. We'll see if they lose to an NFC West team again. We'll see if they don't make it to the Super Bowl. Maybe the Chiefs win this game this time around uh, at Arrowhead, which last year was very expected. This year probably will still be expected, but not as heavily as it was last year. Uh, but the Bengals just came out, punched the Bills in the mouth, got 14 points in the first quarter. And kind of just put the game away. I mean, when you look at it, the Bills did only score 10 points. So the game-winning touchdown was scored with six or seven minutes left in the first quarter uh, as the Bengals got their second touchdown to go up 14 to nothing. And then they were just able to keep the Bills down for the rest of the game, putting up enough points in the rest of the game to kind of supplant that or to support that really, really good start that they got off to. And they were able to easily cruise to the win over the Bills. Then you have the 49ers who won 19 to 12. The Cowboys did the most Cowboys thing ever on the last play of the game. I'm not describing it, but it is easily the worst design play of all time. Um, you can watch it for yourself and decide if you completely agree with me. But Pat McAfee and the Colts are now off the hook for the fourth and three play against the Patriots on, I think that was Sunday night football, maybe seven, eight years ago. Uh, but they're off the hook now because this play was horrible. The only thing that you can do worse than direct snapping it to a punter against three-man rush with only the center blocking is having Ezekiel Elliott play center uh, on the final play of the game when you're trying to win a playoff game. Uh, I have no other words other than that. Uh, also, Brett Maher had a rough go of it again, but was able to get two field goals to kind of redeem himself, although he did miss the first extra point, and that allowed the Niners to really just play safe, kick extra field goals, keep the game tied 6-3, to three. Um, and the Niners really only didn't do anything in the red zone. Let's be honest. They only scored one touchdown in this whole game, but just the touchdown and the four field goals was enough to hold off the Cowboys who also only scored once in the red zone. Uh, both defenses tightening up. There are definitely a defensive battle. Looks like a very old school Cowboys Niners matchup, obviously a very storied history in the playoffs there. And once again, out of the four teams in the conference championship games, three of them are repeats. The only substitution is taking the Eagle, or sorry, taking the Rams out, who didn't even make the playoffs, obviously, um, and subbing them out for the Eagles, but the Chiefs and the Bengals at Arrowhead again, and 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 a fellow NFC team hosting the 49ers for the NFC Championship game. So it'll be an intriguing week next week. I would say my money's on the Eagles and the Chiefs, even though it's chalk. Um, I just don't think that when you look at the 49ers offensively, they can match up well enough to score a lot on the Eagles and the Eagles receivers are going to be an absolute mismatch against the 49ers secondary. As long as the Eagles offensive line can hold everything up and give Jalen hurts enough time to pass. 
And I think that the 49ers struggles running the ball uh, in the last game don't reflect very highly about their chances going forward. And on the other end, I really think the Chiefs and the Bengals is a toss-up. I I think that'll be an even closer game than the Eagles and the Niners will be. And I don't know who's going to win, but I, I, again, I guess I have to say my money's with the Chiefs just because I have been a staunch denier that they were going to just fall off magically without Tyreek Hill this season because they still have Travis Kelsey and they still have Patrick Mahomes. And you could argue their running game got better, their line got better. Um, the Bengals' line got better as well, but I still think that the Chiefs will be able to pull out this matchup now that they have kind of a little bit of a chip on their shoulder, actually. This is probably the only matchup where they would have a chip on their shoulder because they've beaten everybody else. They've won the Super Bowl. They've beaten the Bills. Obviously, they've beaten the Jaguars plenty of times before in other matchups, but not in the playoffs. Uh, But they they haven't gotten to prove themselves to be better than the Bengals in recent history. And for the Bengals, they're trying to cement themselves as the kings of the AFC. And on the Chiefs side of things, they are trying to surpass the Bengals from last year and kind of overturn the upset in their hearts from last year. So I think the Chiefs will have a little bit of a chip on their shoulders, something that they don't normally uh, have the luxury of having. And I think that'll make them play better. And despite a hobbled Mahomes, I think that the Chiefs will be able to win that game. Yeah, this uh, the Super Bowl bursts in both, both conference may uh, be one in the training room this week with uh, Mahomes, as you mentioned, and Christian McCaffrey is nursing a little bit of soreness. So be very interesting. Personally, I'm rooting for Chiefs-Eagles because I just want to see Andy Reid face his former team. I would just like that storyline. Um, all right, that wraps up our look back at the NFL. Let's move on to the NBA with our weekly recap, starting as always with Patrick's three most impressive teams of the past week. Well, I hinted at it a little bit that I would talk about this game and these teams once again. The 76ers, they ended their week with a win over Sacramento, started it with wins over Portland and the Clippers. They went 3-0. They've put together a good stretch of performances over the last few weeks. They have won their last five games following a 20-point loss to the Thunder. Uh, That loss was definitely a surprising one, but they have won five in a row, as I said, and they are now in second place in the East behind the Celtics, who have just opened up a huge lead over everybody else that I'll uh, talk about in a little bit. Uh, But then going back to the West, the Suns, they went 2-0 this week. Uh, They beat Memphis and they beat Indiana, but it's not important who they beat. It's how they beat them. The starting five for the Suns against the Pacers was Torrey Craig, Dario Sarge, Damian Lee, Mikhail Bridges, and Bismack Biombo. In case you don't follow the Suns, that is one starter from the beginning of the season. That is no Devin Booker. That is no DeAndre Ayton. That is no Chris Paul. It is, and no Cam Johnson as well, I should say. That lineup has no chance of beating any team in the league, and yet somehow the Suns were able to pull off that upset. Yes, the Pacers don't have Tyrese Halliburton, but at the same time, I'll, I'll get to this later, but they need to win some games without him. And you're playing that lineup. That's really all role players. I mean, they're all good players because you know, the Suns don't have horrible role players on a, on a, on a championship level team. However, and maybe they're not championship level this year, but they normally are, but there is still not good enough to win a game with that starting five. And somehow they did. And then against Memphis, Chris Paul came back from an injury after being out since January 6th. And Cam Johnson played his second game since returning from an injury that held him out since November 4th. As the shorthanded Suns were able to beat the full-strength Memphis Grizzlies, the Grizzlies have been injured all year, but they actually had their full complement of their starters on the floor. They had John Morant, they had Desmond Bain, and Dylan Brooks, and Steven Adams, and Jaron Jackson Jr., and yet they were not able to beat the Devin Booker and DeAndre Aytonless Suns as the Suns got revenge for a win that the Grizzlies pulled off over them on the road last week. And this was the exact bounce back that the Suns needed to get back on track for the season. 
Uh, we'll see if they can carry it forward and also continue it when Devin Booker comes back. Then I talked about this a little bit earlier, the Celtics lead. They went 2-0 this week. They beat Toronto and Golden State. Really just have a lack of teams since we move uh, since we moved the podcast up a day with six days of games, you don't actually get that many games. So a lot of 2-0, and a lot of 1-0 and teams out there. So it's kind of hard to put a third team on here. But I put the Celtics because they have now won nine games in a row and have opened up a four-and-a-half game lead over the second place Sixers. Their schedule wasn't particularly tough this week, but they were able to handle the challenge uh, in an NBA Finals rematch against the Warriors and easily defeated Toronto later in the week as well. So they deserve some credit for that. Okay, let's move to the flip side of things and go with the most disappointing teams of the week, one of whom you just mentioned. Well, the New Orleans Pelicans lost to Miami, to Orlando, and then to Miami again. Uh, as they went 0-3 this week, the Pelicans have now been surpassed by the Sacramento Kings in the Western Conference standings. They are fourth in the West after losing four games in a row. Still a good season for the Pelicans, but uh, after how good of a start they had, it's kind of crazy to think that the Sacramento Kings have now snuck up on them and actually surpassed them at this point. Um, and the Knicks... They went 0-3 this week. They lost to Toronto, Atlanta, and Washington. Uh, the Knicks were showing signs of promise throughout the season and separated themselves from the rest of the pack in the East. But after four straight losses against teams in the hunt in the East, they have now fallen to 25-23, and 23, which is only good enough for seventh. That is in the play-in territory, not in the regular playoffs anymore. Then you have the Pacers, who went 0-3 this week, lost to Phoenix, as I mentioned earlier, and to Denver and to OKC. The Pacers have now lost seven games in a row and are in total free fall down the Eastern Conference standings. They are currently sitting in the nine seed, just half of a game ahead of the Chicago Bulls for the final spot in the play-in bracket, uh, or sorry, for the 10th spot, Who sorry, the Bulls who are in the 10th spot uh, in the play-in bracket, and they're only two games above Toronto and Washington, who are tied for 11th in the East, fighting for the actual final playoff spot. It's very, very possible that the Pacers tumble out of that pretty soon uh, at the hands of either Toronto or Washington, but not a good uh, outlook for the Pacers after Tyrese Halliburton got injured. They just have not been. I don't think they've won a game, actually, without Tyrese. So it's clear how important he is. Um, if he comes back in a few games, then he needs to be an all-star. If he misses the all-star game, it's just going to be the the reason is going to be because he missed so many games. Um, but if not, it's very clear the impact that he has on that team. They are a playoff team with him and they are a horrible team without him. Okay, let's move on from the bad to the good. Your NBA player of the week. Well, Kyrie Irving led Brooklyn to a two and one week. He averaged 38.7 points, 8.3 rebounds, 7.3 assists, and 2.7 steals per game last week. As I said, led them to a two and one week to get them back up and rolling again after a skid following Kevin Durant's injury. Kyrie has started to shoulder that burden of that absence single handedly, pretty much, and it worked out well for the Nets this week. 48 points, 11 rebounds, and six assists against the Jazz sparked the turnaround, as well as having the game-winning assist to Royce O'Neal to ice the game against the Warriors in their game last night. Uh, and really, the fact that he had 38 points in that game is what drew the defense in on him. They were making sure that anybody but Kyrie beat them. And Kyrie, the attention that he garnered because of that, made Royce O'Neal wide open for his three, and he was able to knock it down an experienced role player. Uh, for the Nets that was turning into a quality pickup from the offseason. All right, should we shift gears and move on to college basketball? Let's do that and talk about close games from last week in college basketball. Number 13, Kansas State beat number two, Kansas, 83 to 82 in overtime. Uh, Kansas State, as I said, I actually mentioned this earlier, 
hinted at it a little bit. One of the first games of the week, so I actually forgot that it was even in this week's period of games, but Kansas suffering one of their first few losses of the season. I believe that was their third at the time, or maybe their second at the time, actually. Uh, but a very, very well-played game by Kansas State. This roster is rejuvenated, and Jerome Tang is doing a great job leading these guys uh, as they move on to be in first place in the Big 12 after the weekend. Then you have number 12, Iowa State, staying in the Big 12, who beat number 7, Texas, 78-67. to uh, Wasn't an upset. Didn't want to put in other important games because it was close throughout. Uh, but Iowa State able to get that win over Texas um, and change the outlook for them on the season as Iowa State, kind of a team that got doubted a lot for their performances uh, against bigger teams, or not bigger teams, but better teams, and just not really able to pull out any upsets, but able to beat every team worse than them, but now finally getting a win over a team that is better than them, talent-wise at least. Uh, so Iowa State cementing themselves, kind of improving, at least in my head, um, my outlook on that team. Then you have number 20, Marquette, who beat number 22, Providence, 83-75. to 75. Uh, Marquette, a very good team this year, kind of flown under the radar. They should be maybe ranked higher than they are. They just have a few too many losses in a tough Big East conference, but once they start playing the easier teams on their schedule for long periods of time, which they now will be after playing Xavier, playing Providence, playing all the good teams in the Big East, once they start playing those easy teams again, they're going to win four or five games in a row, and all of a sudden they'll probably be pretty easily in the top 15 in a few weeks, but we will see what happens with that. Then you have Missouri, who beat number 25, Arkansas, 79-76. This is the reason why I predicted Alabama and Missouri, because I thought that Missouri with a win over Arkansas would be a top 25 team if they just kept it close against Alabama. Uh, obviously, they weren't able to do that, and we already talked about that. Then you have New Mexico, who beat Boise State 81-79 to in overtime. This is an important game in bubble action. Boise State sitting there, last four buys, last four in territory. New Mexico, kind of the same thing. Uh, don't have many quality wins, but only two losses on the season. We will see where they end up in the tournament picture, but this win goes a long way towards helping their resume. Number 11, Arizona, beat number five, UCLA, 58-52. to I already talked about this earlier, so I will not continue to talk about it again, but very important win for Arizona. Uh, one of the first Pac-12 losses, if not the first for UCLA this season. Then you have number seven, Texas, who rebounded from that loss to Iowa State to beat West Virginia 69-61. to Oklahoma State beat number 12, Iowa State, 61 to 59 after Iowa State had be, had pulled off that upset against Texas. Uh, it, or not, not the upset, but pulled off that win at Texas. Uh, but look, Big 12 is close, up and down. There's really no horrible teams in it. West Virginia can pull out a win here and there. Oklahoma State, who's clearly at the bottom with Texas Tech and West Virginia and Oklahoma, can still pull out a win over one of the top teams in the conference as well. So it just speaks to the depth of the Big 12. Uh, then you have Duke, who beat number 17, Miami, 68-66. Already talked about that one enough. Uh, number 19, Clemson, beat Virginia Tech 51 to 50. This game, way too close. Not supposed to be that close. Uh, Clemson, the fact that they're ranked ahead of Marquette is honestly just, I don't really have uh, a word for it, but, you know, it's not, it's not right. I'll just leave it at that. Clemson is not a top 20 team in the country. They are there because they have played a somewhat weak schedule in the ACC and have beaten a few of the fringe teams that are kind of not actually the best. They have that win uh, over Pitt, which catapulted them into the rankings, but then Pitt since then has lost to Florida state and has really gone back to their inconsistent selves from the beginning of the season. So I'm not so sure that that Clemson win over Pitt is, can be viewed as a quality win anymore. Um, and really just, beating Virginia Tech, who's one and seven in conference or one and eight at this point in conference, maybe by one, 
at home is just not it's just not a good sign. Clemson just doesn't seem to have the quality of a top team. Duke has been up and down, and Clemson's best wins are against probably the two most up and down teams in the ACC that are both only in the middle of the pack. So I'm not very convinced about Clemson. Uh, but then number 21 Baylor beat Oklahoma 62 to 60, and finally number three Purdue beat Maryland 58 to 55 in a game that was way closer than it should have been. All right, let's move on to some upsets from last week. Well, I forgot to put this part in there when I'm when I was talking about Clemson, but yes, earlier in the week they lost to Wake Forest. Wake Forest beat them by 10, 87 to, 8, to 77. It was a home game for Wake Forest, but at the same time, bubble teams do not beat top 20 teams by 10. Um, no matter what building it's in, that's just not the mark of a top 20 team. They don't do that. Um, and Clemson just not not really showing me that they're very much of a top team when you consider the fact that they played the two bubble teams in the ACC this week and escaped with a one-point win and suffered a 10-point loss. It's just not a very good sign uh, for them going forward. But then you have DePaul, who beat number eight, Xavier, 73-72. to 72. Most top 20 teams don't lose games like this either because DePaul is not very good uh, at all. But Xavier, they get the benefit of the doubt because they have been good all season and they have a lot of quality wins that Clemson does not. Um, and just overall, they are a better team. They were supposed to be better at the beginning of the season. This is just a minor setback for Xavier. They will move on and they will reload and get better. Uh, unlike some of the other teams who got upset here, not this one, but the next one and the one after that, but I will get to that in a second, but West Virginia beat number 14 TCU 74 to 65. This is what I was referencing how West Virginia can beat other top teams in the conference. Uh, this was their first winning conference this year, but won over a very good TCU team. Seton Hall beat number 15 UConn 67 to 66, who I believe has now lost five games in a row in the Big East. So not a good showing from UConn whatsoever. Uh, they did beat Butler, I think, yesterday by like 30, but it doesn't really matter because they have been in free fall for quite some time. And Butler's not necessarily a top of the conference team. Definitely more the bottom, in maybe you could argue the bottom of the middle of the conference uh, so far in the Big East. Then you have Loyola Marymount, who beat number six Gonzaga 68 to 67. Gonzaga snapped a 75-game home win streak against Loyola Marymount. Now, we have not talked about this much on the podcast. Maybe I have talked about how uh, unconvinced I've been with Gonzaga this season. But I do remember talking to you off of the podcast when we were just on the phone. And I did say, Gonzaga at some point is going to lose one of these games because they just kept they just kept playing with their food, really. I mean, there's no... For, for lack of a better term, they just, this season, they haven't looked that good. A lot of the resume improving wins, like their win against Michigan State, have come against teams that are now kind of on the tournament bubble when you look at it. They lost to Texas by 19. They lost to Purdue by 18. Their best win of the year now is beating Xavier by four on a neutral court. But even there, if that's going to be your best win of the year and you're going to have that 18-point loss to Purdue, you're going to have the 19-point loss to Texas, they're really not hanging in there with good teams and they haven't been able to all year long. And then when they play some of the worst teams there, other than that Alabama one, I should mention actually, but when they play some of the worst teams, some of their teams in conference, San Francisco was having a down year. They only beat them by two. San Francisco was 11 and seven. They beat Santa Clara by five. Santa Clara is a good team, but barely a tournament, barely a bubble team, to be honest. It took a last second three to beat BYU. And then obviously they have this loss to LMU. So it's just, this team, this Gonzaga team is not a typical Gonzaga team. I'm just going to leave it at that. Um, there's absolutely no way they should have lost this game. There's no way that their combined margin of victory 
against Santa Clara, BYU, and San Francisco should be less than 10. If anything, they should have won two of three of those games by more than 10 individually. Uh, but Gonzaga, not the Gonzaga of old this year, I guess, of the last three to four years, you could say. And then they also struggled to a nine-point win over Pacific, who might be the worst team in that conference, at least one of the worst teams in their conference. So Gonzaga just not looking good this season. Um, a lot of other top teams should be ranked ahead of them, but they just unfortunately don't get free wins every single week in conference. Uh, I guarantee you that if TCU played Santa Clara, San Francisco, BYU, and LMU, they would never lose a game in the conference. But they're still ranked behind Gonzaga for who knows what reason. Speaking of TCU, they beat number two Texas after their loss to West Virginia. 83-60, to 60, we talked about this in my predictions, but just a crazy win for them. Number two Kansas. Temple, two Kansas. Then you have Temple who beat number one Houston. 56 to 55, uh, a crazy upset by Temple. Houston not looking uh, like the team that should be number one anymore. But you know what? They're allowed to lose one or two games a year. If we're going to give Gonzaga, if we're going to give Gonzaga the benefit of the doubt, you might as well give it to Houston uh, as well. Kind of similar type programs. And Houston's in what's typically a better conference, but really having a down down year this year. Uh, so not many quality wins in the American. Pretty much any time Houston lost, I, I, they would have gotten you know, a lot of negative press about it because there aren't really any other good teams in their conference other than Memphis and kind of UCF. Um, and even then, those would still be losses that people wouldn't really accept them taking unless it was on the road to Memphis, I would argue. And then the last upset of the week, Indiana beat Illinois 80-65 to 65 on the road, which becomes important in a second. Yeah, so let's touch base on a few other important games, including, as you previewed, one involving Indiana. UCLA, number five in the country, beat Arizona State 74 to 62 in their first half of their Arizona trip uh, over the last week. Then Michigan State beat number 23, Rutgers 70 to 57. Not actually an upset because Michigan State was pretty heavy favorite in that game. They're kind of right behind Rutgers in the Big Ten in terms of, I would say, the relative level of those teams right now. Uh, and then you have number 20, Marquette, who beat Seton Hall 74 to 53. And then it became important, and I mentioned this Michigan State game as well, because Indiana beat Michigan State 82-69. to So Indiana may be starting to round back into form after getting a win over a team, an Illinois team on the road that was actually hot going into that game, was favored by five or six. Um, and then beating that Michigan State team, who was also playing pretty well as of recent. Looks like those might be the top four in the Big Ten when you add Purdue into that mix, um, as most of the other teams have just struggled with various problems of inconsistency. Um, and maybe you could also throw Illinois in that conversation as the fifth team. It's very hard to tell right now. Still early in the conference. Uh, a lot of teams that are kind of really on the bubble, eight, eight to 11 seed range is pretty much where the entire conference lies, except for uh, Purdue and Rutgers really at the moment. And also kind of to an extent, Indiana, but a crazy Big Ten season so far with a lot of teams fighting for tournament position every single week. Yeah, it looks like Indiana's finally getting healthy, right? And maybe, uh, as you said, rounding into the form to the team people expected them to be. I assume that, that uh, that's part of the reason for their resurgence. All right. Well, that wraps this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Please be sure to check out our next podcast, which will be Monday, January 30th, as we move our podcast up here today, as Patrick previously mentioned. And in that podcast, we will recap Patrick's weekend predictions, have our weekly look at NBA and college basketball actions, and discuss the NFL Conference Championship games. In the meantime, please be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including his NCAA basketball tournament bracket that will be updated on Tuesday and his picks for next weekend's games, which as always will be posted on Thursday. All of that on our website, fourthand24.com. That's the number four, T-H-A-N-D, 
the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.